Hi, my name is Nina Bosky, and I'm the host of a special investigation series of Maryland Behind the Icon during the 60th anniversary of the star's death, where we'll look into the mystery and break down for you, the audience, of what the facts are versus the lies around the star that have been plaguing her for over six decades. We have some of the top Maryland experts with me on the panel. Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, lifetimes in films of Marilyn Monroe, and April Via Via, now Chambers, Marilyn Monroe, A Day in the Life, and Donald McGovern, Murder Orthodoxies, a non-conspiracy view of Marilyn Monroe's death. Each week, we will break down for you what is fact, what is probable theory, and what is outlandish rumor. In this episode, the panel from Goodnight Maryland Radio break down Maryland's last day in detail. Licensed mental health counselor and best-selling author, icon, lifetimes, and films of Marilyn Monroe, volumes one and two. Gary Vitaco Robles joins us. Immortal Maryland's Mary Jane Gray will chime in with some of her research, along with author David Marshall. Now, David Marshall was one of the first people to start a online investigation into Maryland's death. And he presented a year's worth of online discussions on Marilyn's last days in his book called The DD Group, an online investigation into the death of Marilyn Monroe. Well, today there's a lot more evidence that is actually visible, meaning pictures from the Bates Ranch that make it next to impossible for the attorney general to be in two places at one time. And guys, this is huge. And why is this evidence? never talked about. You know, up until recently, I didn't even know it was out there. Now we're starting to connect the dots. And we'll listen to part one of Marilyn's Last Day. And then Randall Libero and I, one of the investigative producers from the original Goodnight Marilyn radio series, will be with me. But he's also a producer on the dramatic episodes, as well as my co-producer on this special investigation series as well. And we will give you proof into Bobby Kennedy's whereabouts. And we'll also give you a little bit more in terms of the mental health updates to some of the reasons why Marilyn was so upset and happy at the same time, especially during her last day. But now let's begin this episode as we break down Marilyn waking up to the last day in her life. What was going on in Marilyn's demeanor and what was she doing that last Friday? Well, we know Patricia Newcomb spent the night with Marilyn. She had bronchitis, and uh, they had gone out to dinner, supposedly La Scala restaurant in Beverly Hills. She awoke very late in the morning and had a good night's sleep, and some neighbors had heard a woman coughing in the backyard, so that was presumed to be Patricia Newcomb. It's probably important that we just cite that Robert Kennedy was with his wife and family in San Francisco, He was addressing the American Bar Association. He left the next morning with his family to Gilroy, where there's photographs of the Kennedy family on horseback with their hosting family, the Bates. And we do have one surviving witness to that, who is Joseph Tidings, who is the Attorney General of Maryland at the time. Looking at Maryland's mood, the fact that she had a bad night's sleep and she was somewhat irritable and cranky, and her housekeeper, Eunice Murray, who arrived at 8 o'clock, 
said that she was rather quiet and not very lively that day. There's another phone call that Marilyn makes probably in the late morning to Norman Rothstein in New York. And his recollection of that phone call was that Marilyn was jumping from one subject to another and uh, almost sounded uh, a little manic. They were making plans to see a play together, and she kept making statements about, you know, we need to enjoy our lives, uh, have fun before we get old. So we begin to wonder, is her mood moving into maybe a hypomania, which the lack of sleep, the irritability, this manic speech might suggest? All right. And Mary Jane, anything you want to add to that? We can only go by the accounts of the people who were there, and they don't always line up with one another. So we have to just kind of put the pieces together in the, in the best way we know how. Exactly. There is a rumor, and this is a rumor, Bobby Kennedy arrived via helicopter on the Fox lot that morning. Is that true? I don't know if there are any facts to actually support it. All right. So Mary Jane. Uh, you know how I am. I want to see proof of it, but I'm not going to say it's something that happened unless I see more than conjecture and speculation about it. All right. And Gary? Well, we know Gilroy was in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and the closest airstrip was an hour away in San Jose. So I I don't know if that makes for helicopter transportation. But we do know Sunday morning on August 5th, he attends Mass, according to the Gilroy Dispatch. So let's get back to the timeline. The last day, August 4th, 1962, Marilyn awakes, she goes to the kitchen, and she starts to have more phone calls and people start to arrive at her house. Gary, who's calling her? Well, the first phone call is from her former father-in-law, Isidore Miller, who called from New York, and um, Eunice Murray had already arrived. She was dropped off by her mechanic who was working on her Dodge, and she told uh, Mr. Miller that Marilyn was dressing And then Norman Jeffries, Murray's son-in-law, arrived and started working on the kitchen floor. And this is around the time, maybe 9 o'clock, that Ralph Roberts, Marilyn's very close friend in Missouri, calls and talks with Marilyn about grilling some steaks uh, poolside later in the evening. Now, Marilyn's Life magazine interview with Richard Merriman was on the newsstand. So some of the phone calls were congratulatory for that interview. So Sidney Skolsky called. And Marilyn made some statement about perhaps going to the beach later in the day, which is possibly a reference to the Lawfords. And Skolsky's version, Marilyn indicates that Patricia Newcomb was somewhat jealous of her, um, but he doesn't provide any details. Okay. And then Lawrence Schiller arrives on his way to Palm Springs, and he had shot the Something's Got to Give nude swimming photographs. And Marilyn had given him permission to sell them to Playboy magazine and profit by that and and buy a house for his wife and their child. And she was ambivalent, though, on this morning. She was reconsidering letting those photographs go to press. But this always struck me as interesting that on Monday morning when Schiller came back to his office in Los Angeles, he found the photos in an envelope slid under the door with a note on it in Marilyn's handwriting stating, these are for Playboy. Wow. Then we know Agnes Flanagan, her hairdresser, uh, arrived and visited. And during this visit, a messenger delivered a package, and it was a stuffed tiger. And according to Flanagan, when she's interviewed by uh, at least one biographer, she notices a change in Marilyn's demeanor. 
and I think possibly the, the stuffed tiger is one of the two stuffed animals later photographed by the press scattered next to her pool. I was going to say, in regards to the stuffed animal that arrived, I believe if you look at photos of Marilyn taken with her dog by Eric Skipsey, you see very similar little stuffed animals. And I think it was Anthony Summers who first postulated that there was something ominous about the stuffed tiger arriving, but I've come to believe it was nothing more than a toy for the dog. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I agree with Mary Jane on this point. It is a tremendous story, and it has all kinds of drama behind it. In fact, Joyce Carol Oates uses this story to open up her novel, Blonde, having the messenger be deaf, who then jumps on his bike and and leaves the house. Uh, The problem with it is one of the things Mary Jane brought up that everybody who is interested in this case really needs to pay attention to is sources. Uh, the story starts out in Anthony Summers' book, but another problem with it is when you look at the photos of these two stuffed animals out by the pool the following day, one of them looks to be a lamb, and it looks to be mm, pretty new, pretty good shape. There is a tiger further back in the picture, and it's pretty well chewed up. Uh, There's also a receipt for a toy tiger made out to Maryland from the Vicente Pharmacy that's dated April 12, 1962, and others who have said that Maryland often bought little stuffed animals for her dog, Moth, dog toys. And so I have a tendency not to totally believe uh, this story with Agnes Flanagan and the stuffed tiger. There were two two phone lines in Maryland's home, and um, I have seen documentation of the Norman Rostin call and the duration of that call. Can we clear up for the record, guys? Are the phone records missing? Are part of them missing? What phone records of any do we have access to? I'm going to ask Mary Jane that question. I've never seen phone records of that last evening. There's a lot of stories going around that they were confiscated and and they've disappeared. Um, I've never seen them. I have seen phone records of the last a month of her life, and while there are uh, there are eight calls to the Department of Justice, there are none placed to that number during the last week of her life. So there you have it. You heard from the panel on Maryland's last day up until 6 p.m. Gary Vitaka Robles, Mary Jane Gray, and David Marshall. And that panel was from a few years ago. And now I'd like to bring on Randall Libero. And I thought he would be a great person for me to bring on so we can discuss more of the updated information. And I think this is really, really important, Randall. So glad to have you with us talking about Maryland's last day and some of the updated evidence that we do have. Thanks, Nina. Glad to be here. Hi, everybody. So I think one of the things that we want to address as updated information that wasn't addressed in the original Maryland's Last Day is something that Don McGovern has in his blog. And if you haven't gone there, I would definitely suggest that you do. It's MarylandFromThe22ndRow.com, MarylandFromThe22ndRow.com. And he has evidence We're not talking probable theories. He spells it all out for you. Where was Robert Kennedy on August 4th? And so one of the things that we addressed in this episode, so was Bobby Kennedy at the Fox lot Saturday morning? So based on the evidence that we know that couldn't have happened. In addition, 
There are many, many rumors, books, documentaries that talk about Bobby Kennedy being in LA visiting Maryland Saturday afternoon with Peter Lawford. But the challenge you have now, and this is the question I have for all of us, this evidence has been out there. These pictures have been out there. They were produced in 2011 with Susan Bernard. Uh, Susan Bernard is the daughter of Bruno Bernard, a famous photographer that photographed Marilyn in many, many uh, different scenes and some of her most iconic dresses and photo shoots. But there is actual evidence with not just one person, which was John Bates, but multiple families and children. So if you go to Don's blog, MarilynFromThe22ndRow.com, you're going to see this evidence of where he was, the Santa Cruz Mountains in Gilroy, California. So Randall, what do you say about what we're finding right now and how we're connecting the dots? Well, that's what our series is about, connecting the dots for you, the listener. And we've spent the last several episodes really focusing on the Kennedys and their relationship with Marilyn the actual factual relationship for real. And we're coming to a point now where we're coming to conclusions for you. So this is a big one because a lot of the conspiracy theories around the Kennedys culminate with this supposed visit of Robert Kennedy to Maryland around the last days of her life. So what we're offering you today is, I would say, pretty conclusive evidence. If you were to present this in a court of law, I think it'd be a case that would be sewn up pretty easily for the judge. So he makes some very powerful statements that really are strong in the case of that Robert Kennedy was not in Los Angeles. And one of the things, Nina, that we've really uncovered recently, and we're still kind of going a little bit deeper, is the travel time for Kennedy to have gone from the Bates Ranch to Los Angeles. Well, I think this is really important because when you're in the Santa Cruz Mountains, right, the closest airstrip was San Jose, about an hour away by car. To drive that would have been about five hours. And helicopters back in 1962 aren't as fast and efficient as they are today. You know, you can basically get up from LA to San Francisco by plane in about 50 minutes. What was it back then? Because I think that's really important because they always talk about the helicopter. So if you look at these photos, everybody go to his blog and you're going to see this, or you can actually go in uh, and purchase Susan Bernard's book uh, back in 2011, Maryland Intimate Exposures, which featured her father's photographic work, but also published testimony, not only from John Bates, which when you just see him, you could probably say like some of the conspiracy theorists, including myself, by the way, back in the Goodnight Maryland radio show, Randall, if you remember that, I think Bobby Kennedy was in LA that day. Yeah. I thought so too, because I was believing all the conspiracy theories and I hadn't done the homework yet to find out that there's not much behind them as we've and, been finding and, out in this series. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't see these photographs and they've been out there. They've been floating around. So when we take this series and we're talking about what is a fact, what is a probable theory and what's an outlandish rumor, guys, you've got he and his family, his kids, you've got him on horseback in the middle of the day. That's going to be really hard to be in LA and the Santa Cruz mountains. 
So when you look at this in terms of connecting the dots with Marilyn's story, this is really important. And the other thing is in the coming weeks, we're going to be breaking down for you, Anthony Summers, Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, the unheard tapes. Now I've heard a lot of those tapes myself. And so when I watch the Netflix documentary, there's a gentleman, he's an old entertainment manager, very successful one, repped some of the biggest classic Hollywood stars back in the day. I remember listening to a tape and he basically said, because he was at Peter Lawford's having dinner. That was Milton, Milton Evans. He's a character, one of our Maryland Behind the Icon episodes. Yeah. Huge, huge entertainment manager, lawyer, et cetera. I remember him saying, if Bobby Kennedy were in L.A. that day, I would know about it. He was talking very casually about it. When you watch the Netflix documentary and even Anthony Summers comes out and says, I think Marilyn Monroe either committed suicide or overdose. And he says that in one scene. And yet probably two thirds of this documentary is basically dedicated to implicating the Kennedys. Right. And yet. You give an agenda with this story. So this is why it's really important when you look at these photos. There's absolutely no way in the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life, whether it be the morning or the afternoon, that Bobby Kennedy was in L.A. I want you to hear this. It is a fact, <laughs> unless you want to say that he wasn't really with his kids and you see him hugging his children on a horse, that that's not true. Everything else you've heard about Bobby Kennedy is hearsay. There's absolutely no proof, actual proof and evidence that he was in L.A. that Saturday before Marilyn Monroe died or on the day that she died. Because sometimes there's speculation between she died August 4th or August 5th, but her official date is right. August 5th. So I think this is really important as this is a pivotal part. And to Randall's point, this is why we're doing this series. Because we're living in a time right now, even in media and today's standards, that we're not being told the truth. All of us know it. Yeah. And so now, if you put it back into the 1962 standards and six decades of really wonderful storytelling, but let's set the record straight of what we know now to be true. Bobby Kennedy during the day was not at all in Los Angeles. Yeah. So if some of the people out there are still kind of not believing it and you want to hold on to your ideas of that he was, all right, let's take that at face value. So if Robert Kennedy wanted to leave, he would have to explain to John Bates why he was leaving. And then after he came back and Marilyn's dead, what would John Bates think? What is he going to say, not just to John Bates, but to everybody else? Where was he? Right. Yeah, and then all these people would have to maintain this lie for decades. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely ludicrous. And here's the other thing for everybody. And if you haven't had a chance to do this yet, we want you to go back and listen to the other episodes. There's a reason why we identified who the rumor mill people were. And one of them is Robert Slater. The other one is Jeannie Carmen. Mm -hmm. Both of these two individuals actually have no credibility whatsoever. And yet... They are the ones that are talking about Bobby Kennedy being in L.A. and that Marilyn Monroe was going to have a press conference. Let's also put this rumor to bed. OK, and this is really important to think about it. If Marilyn Monroe was going to give a press conference 
and she wound up dead. Don't you think the press would have a field day with this one? So when you say that she was going to give a press conference, to whom was she going to give this press conference? She would have notified the press. The press would not have sat on this. They would have had a field day on this one. It would have blown up. But also remember, if she had done this, her career would have been over. Well, and she's not stupid. No logical sense that these people would do this kind of thing. Marilyn's trying to get her career back. The Kennedys are dealing with a political hot seat 12 ways from Sunday. And she's going to put a press conference out there to jeopardize the country and the president. Makes absolutely no sense at all. I think what we want to do is we don't want to push our agenda on you either saying this. I think you have to read this article. I think you have to look at the pictures. I think you have to suspend your own belief system so you can look at rational truth and facts. Because even for myself, when I would hear, oh, John Bates said he wasn't in LA, I'd be like, oh yeah, and uh, who did he have to pay to have that happen, right? I mean, there was a part Mm -hmm. of me that believed that. But then when you start talking about multiple families there, and I'm looking at these pictures, it's really hard to then say to yourself, well, that's not true. It just doesn't make any sense. It's not logical sense. So I think that we can almost guarantee 99.9% chance Bobby Kennedy was in the Santa Cruz mountains. There is proof. And you can go look at these pictures for your own verification. Go there with an open mind. We hope that you will listen to these episodes with saying to yourself, let me look at what is a fact, probable theory and an outlandish rumor. And let me tell you guys, this is eye-opening because now we're starting to connect the dots, right, Randall? That's right. And I can tell you, I'm going to reveal one more thing here. We were going to do this, but I just kind of held back. But since I'm on right now, I'll tell everyone. I knew Robert Slatzer when he was alive in person. Uh, I made a documentary in 1986 that featured him, a TV pilot. And I was at his house. I was in his office. I saw his files, the Maryland files and everything. And back in the day, I believed his story. He sounded pretty convincing, but here's one thing. He showed me the photo of him with Marilyn, you know, when they were at shooting Niagara. And I remember asking him, I said, where's the other photos of you with her and and other places that you went? And he never produced them. And we said in one of our earlier episodes. Because he couldn't. Yeah, because he didn't have them. He was a liar. He was an opportunist. That's why we did two episodes on him in the series to basically explain that for people, because a lot of this Kennedy conspiracy, a lot of it comes from Slater. And Slater came out of Frank Capel, and Frank Capel came out of Jack Clemens and all the other stuff. So a lot of these things have continued all these years. And that's why our last episode was about Marilyn Monroe murdered as an industry, because all these people have made money from this all these years with their books and TV shows and everything else. And what we're trying to do is finally get to the bottom of this. So we're taking the time and going through this piece by piece, showing you the proof, showing you the facts, showing you where the conspiracy theories are, the rumors, the lies, everything. If you haven't heard this series from the beginning, start with episode one and play all the episodes because they all connect to each other. As Nina said, connect the dots. So if you don't know what the dots are, you need to go back and 
listen to the earlier episodes of the series so you know what those dots are. And when you hear the proof and the facts, you're going to come to the same conclusion. And now we're going further in this Maryland season, the 60th anniversary of, of her passing, that the reason why we're doing this is so you can make your own decisions. I think that's really important. Don't underestimate the ability for people to figure out their own answers. And I think that if people are open to seeing and hearing and reading the information, this may change their mind. Like it certainly has changed mine. And I was- And it's changed mine too. Yeah. Isn't it wild? (laughs) I was around these people, but I'll tell you, Everyone out there is probably thinking, okay, well, what do you believe now? Okay, well, I'll tell you what I believe now. It's a very simple explanation. In most of murder cases, there is always the people who knew the victim and the people who were around her, okay? That is 90% or higher in terms of the usual murder investigative case. That's where we come out. And also look at the careers of Judy Garland, Elvis, and the similarities to Marilyn, Mm -hmm. the doctors around her, the drugs that she took, her emotional life, all of that, similarities. I don't know if anybody remembers the Geraldo Rivera investigation after Elvis died when he exposed Dr. Nick. Yeah. You know, there you go. You know, and we've actually spent a few episodes of even our dramatic series showing you in dramatized form Marilyn picking up her medications and what was prescribed to her and all the other stuff. Go back and listen to the dramatic episodes if you haven't heard those yet. So I think these are important because another aspect to this, and people get very confused on this, Marilyn was happy. Marilyn was agitated. And all of us, uh, particularly Gary Vitaka Robles, who's also a mental health professional in this case and deals with a lot of bipolar, borderline personality and, and people with mental health issues. I think this is important for us to touch on also in this episode. We talked about Dr. Greenson seeing her every day, sometimes even twice a day, and on Saturday. I know when I first heard the Marilyn story, I thought, why in the world is a psychiatrist coming to somebody's house on a Saturday? In my mind, I'm thinking about today's standards in terms of therapy, right? Back then, these stars, these people were actually having daily appointments with their psychiatrist. And so if you look at Marilyn's diagnosis that we know for sure that she was bipolar, she she definitely had that. She had anxiety. And Gary would talk about these mixed episodes. And what a mixed episode is, is where you are, have got the high mania and the depressiveness. And so as an average you know, person that doesn't have an acute mental health disorder, well, she was happy. Well, within 60 seconds, within a few minutes, she could actually be switched. And so we're trying to put a reason for Dr. Greenson coming over on a Saturday when that was actually normal and her being agitated, whether it was because of Pat Newcomb or it was her own chemistry that was happening. That is pretty consistent with how Marilyn saw Dr. Greenson, correct? That's correct. And go back and listen to our dramatic episode. That's about Marilyn's last day. And you'll actually hear a conversation between Marilyn and Pat on that day. We Um, dramatize it for you. Yeah. And so I think it starts to humanize Marilyn and Mm -hmm. we take it out of the sensationalized story 
And I have to tell you, I'm sure you feel the same way. I'm sitting here going, I can't believe it. I can't believe this is the truth versus everything that I used to believe. So this episode in particular, where we're now giving you actual evidence and pictures of where Bobby Kennedy was the day Marilyn Monroe died, this will put whatever you think and believe on its head if you think that Bobby Kennedy was in LA the day Marilyn Monroe died. So we're going to get to part two of Marilyn's last day, but wanted to at least address some of the updated information that we have that wasn't addressed in the earlier panel discussion we are growing weekly and it's really powerful. And thank you so much for being a part of this uh, series and getting to the truth. If you have been listening to this series, first of all, thank you. And if you've been a listener to our dramatic series as well, thank you for that. What we really could use right now is for you to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, for you to join our Facebook Behind the Icon community and share the posts that we're putting out. And also tell your friends, if you're enjoying this, share it with your family and your friends and uh, your social media community or what, whatever. Continue to listen, continue to follow along. And if you have something that you'd like to hear covered on the show, send us a note, contact us something that we haven't addressed that you've always wondered about. So we want to hear from you. Subscribe to the Behind the Icon website. It would be wonderful if we could have that response from anyone who's listening to these episodes. Fantastic. And I'd like to just uh, put one extra, not just give us a review, give us a five-star review. That would be wonderful. <laughs> what do you like about the uh, yeah. about the series? Because we couldn't do it without you and we're growing. And we just want to say again, thank you. As we break down what is fact, what is probable theory, and what is outlandish rumor. I'm Nina Bosky for the Behind the Icon investigation series as the truth will be known.